Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Muslim Matters Podcast, where we discuss everything under the sun that affects Muslims, such as faith, local and global politics, social media, sex education, civil rights, and family matters, all coming from a traditional Orthodox perspective. Subscribe to our podcast and follow us online on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on our handle, Muslim Matters. And check out our site daily at muslimmatters.org. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Muslim Matters Podcast, Man to Man with Irtaza Hassan, where we bring guests to speak about many different issues impacting our deen, our families, and our communities. And they're benefiting us from the experience and stories of Muslim men. These are fathers, husbands, brothers, sons, uncles, and friends. Our guest today is a special guest who I've known for a long time. By profession, he's a periodontist and a dental implant specialist. He's also a professor that teaches implant surgery locally in the city of Houston, Texas. And in terms of his Islamic credentials and resume, and, you know, mostly I say this for the benefit of listeners. I know that most of our guests would, would, would not necessarily want me to go into these details, but he's a graduate of the American Open University, where he got an Islamic studies degree. He's been the past president of CARE Texas, the Council of American Islamic Relations. He's currently the president of the CARE Advisory Board. He's also on the board of directors of Masjid Tawheed in the Fifth Ward, Houston, Texas, the masjid that is led by Imam Qasim Khan. And on that board, we also have Imam Zaid Shakir and Imam Siraj Wahaj. And finally, uh, he has his most recent project, which is the KIC, the Khalil Islamic Collective. My guest today is Dr. Yusuf Sher. Welcome, Yusuf. Waalaikum salam, Irtaza. I'm so happy to be here today. And I'm very excited uh, that you have this show. I think you're going to do really well. And I'm really uh, honored to be here with you today. Well, no, thank you very much. Our first, so. What we're going to do today, or have a few shows that we're, we're focusing on pre-Ramadan preparation uh, from practical advice from folks in the community, fathers like yourself, people who have not only Ramadan, you have to prepare for yourself or the community, but your, your family, your children. Before we get into that, I, I, I was wondering if you wanted to take a minute to tell us a little bit about the KIC, the Khalil Islamic Collective. I know uh, you've, you've started this organization recently and done a few programs in the last six months or so. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah. You know, this is something that we, uh, it's kind of unique to the city. Uh, we're finding that as our families mature and get older, the men will go to their event. The sisters will go to their event, the teenagers, the little kids, we'll all kind of be separated. We may not all find that one event that we want to go to together. So we said, you know, why don't we do something where the whole family can go? So simultaneously, we have events for the husband, the wife, the children, the teenagers. So kind of a bonding experience for the whole family to where um, everyone can start going to the masjid and discuss things that they want to discuss. So we let people help us decide, you know, what topics they're really concerned about and their kids are concerned about, such as mental health, living in America, some of the challenges that we're facing as an ummah and as a family. So our focus is mostly the family. You, you know, I really like that. And one thing I know is that you, in some ways, you've kind of made it a family affair where uh, you're involved in this organization. Your, your wife is active. Sister Fatima is active in the organization. 
your cousin Shahid, who's a who's a friend as well, is active. And I think that's really neat that bringing these good deeds and or a program and organization to the community, but also working with your family. I, I'm sure that adds double the sweetness. And one thing I admire is that you guys, when you're doing the program, you're kind of looking for everybody. There's sometimes simultaneous tracks for younger children, but also teenagers and adults. So um, I really wish you success with uh, the Khalil Islamic Collective and look forward to what you guys will be doing next. Thank you so much. Yeah, we uh, really are excited about it. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us with this effort. Mashallah. Well, with that, let's get right into the show. And for brothers and sisters listening or, or any of our non-Muslim guests, we're going to be doing certain shows preparing for the month of Ramadan. Of course, it's a special time of year, probably the most important month for, for us Muslims, along with Dhul-Hijjah and the other sacred months. Focus of the show today is spiritual preparation for Ramadan, getting your mindset right, getting your uh, mentality ready to have a good quality Ramadan. And uh, I want to start by asking you, Yusuf, for those of us, uh, and this show does, you know, it's heavily Western-centric, you know, talking probably mostly to the context of people living in the U.S., Canada, Europe, although we have listeners all over the world, and and many of them may be in the same situation. Uh, when you're living in uh, societies or lifestyles that are, they tend to be eight to five, and whether you're entrepreneur, you have a business, you're a professional, you're a student, it may be Ramadan, but you know you you'll have exams, or you have to meet your quarterly financials, or you have stress at work, or you're in an environment that isn't always the most Islamic. How do you get in the right mindset headed, heading into Ramadan? And what is that right spiritual mindset? Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa ala rasulillah. You know, one of the greatest blessings of being a Muslim is that anything we do can be ibadah. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us, or the Prophet has told us, that everything is based on our intention. So this month, you know, one of the best mindsets is to just feel that our job it's valuable. It's an ibadah for us because when I go to work, I'm an ambassador of Islam to these mostly non-Muslims that I work with, and I want to be the best ambassador possible, especially in the month of Ramadan where they know that more people know about Ramadan. We were fasting when we were you know, depriving ourselves of this energy of food and drink, but how are we responding? So if we go to work with this great renewed intention that, you know, this is my ibadah, to go to work, to do well, to interact with people while I'm in this state of ibadah, that in itself, I think, is a great way to get ready for this month and have that right mindset that, alhamdulillah, you know, uh, you know the, the objective is to be people that, inshallah, will hopefully become muttaqeen, people of taqwa and God-fearing people. But the month itself is just so amazing that you remember Sheikh Muthanna, who was one of the great Mufassirin of our time who lived in Houston. He told me, you know, one time about Ramadan, and I think it was Sheikh Abdullah Doro studied with him too. He was saying that Shahr Ramadan, like when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about a month, he doesn't say about any month, Shahr month. But this month, he says Shahr Ramadan, like the month of Ramadan, meaning that, hey, it's a special month. Get ready for this special month, and it's going to be a great month. Have that mindset. Regardless of what's going on in your life, it's unconditionally great. So really well said. Let, let me ask you a, a practical question on that. Of course, really great month of Ramadan. When do you start to get in the right mindset? Because you know, as they say that, you know, failing to plan is, is planning to fail. Do you, do you start 
weekend before? Do you start uh, 10 days out? When, when do you really start to get your, you know, spiritual mindset, you know, and, and obviously there's other preparation is getting your, your body right, your physical preparation, and, and there's other things as well. But when do you really start to prepare for Ramadan? For me, it starts around Rajab time because I feel like I want to get in the mindset. Um, I want to start doing things too. Like, for example, like little things, like if you can do like something for your car, like if you need an oil change, if you can do it a month before versus doing Ramadan, I'll just get that done. You know, little things that I can do before Ramadan, I'll try to get done. So in Ramadan, I have less of errands to run. So I start thinking about those. I start envisioning, hey, you know, in my mind, like me standing at the masjid, me physically being present at the masjid, how will I go to work at that time? Uh, even, you know, what will I eat? Uh, try to be healthy. When will I work out and exercise? Just try to think about things and really have a positive view of it because the shaitan right now, it's the Abwabul Jahannam are open. And so he's telling us that, hey, look, you work, you're not going to be there worshiping as much as you should. And that's the wrong mindset. The right mindset is that I'm doing ibadah. Islam asks me to fast. It does not say more than that is required that month. Of course, we'll do more if we can. But the fact that I'm fasting, man, I am doing great. Yeah. Wow. So you start, uh, you recommend to start the prep in uh, Rajab, And we're actually in the month of Rajab right now. Let, let me ask you this. What, what, what is something you hope or you, whether in your context as a, as a community leader, or as a father, what is something you hope or you recommend to get out of Ramadan? If you were talking to a fellow Muslim, you're talking to your children, what is something you should target or plan that this is something I want to accomplish this Ramadan? This is something I hope to get out of the month. You know, I think that we, we, we all have different uh, strengths. And that's one of the things that I've learned as being a community activist is that not everybody will want to read lots of Quran. Yes, we should all read some. Not everybody will want to pray a lot. Not everybody will want to give sadaqah. But find something that you're really passionate about and see if this Ramadan, you can really focus on that passion. And it could be just self-development. Like for some people, it's just self-development to being a better you. So to me, Ramadan is the best month to really become that better you. Because you have, like Ibn al-Qayyim says, that as the passages of food narrow, so does the passage of the shaitan in your body in this month when you're fasting. So this is like the best time to really get in the mindset that, you know, I'm going to really be the best me. And the things that I want to overcome, I'm going to do it in this month. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, no, well said. Let, let me ask you this, Yusuf. We... Um... As as a, as a father, obviously the the sweetness of Ramadan and and the the journey of Ramadan is something we all hope to every year to live to see Ramadan and and enjoy it and benefit. But as a as a father, as a, as a family man, obviously you want your children to experience that. And the same way we we may work or have businesses or whatever, our our children have their own challenges, their school or exams or extracurricular activities. They're they're busy. They have their own stresses. How do you guide or, or how do you help your children have a, a positive Ramadan, a good experience? And, and what reminders or, or what sort of spiritual prep do you help give them? And I'm, I'm saying this so you, so you can benefit other fathers that may be listening. would love to hear some things you do. Like my kids are a little bit older, like teen, they're all teenagers. And I think the best thing to do is get them to dictate or to suggest the topics 
things that they want to learn more about. Like, for example, like me, I have three girls. And at the last kick event, we had Sister Zainab who talked about how the Prophet treated women. And she was like, now every time we talk about anything, she was like, can we talk about more about women? <laughs> and, it's not, and she really liked her talk. So I think finding things that they're really passionate about, they, that they are interested in, not us telling them, hey, learn about this, I think is what I've been doing more of is, okay, what do you guys want to learn about this Ramadan? Get some ideas from them. What do you want to you know, do a short khatir every day for 10 minutes? What do you guys want to talk about? So you kind of meet them where they are, the place that the, the comfort zone they have where, or the, yeah. Yeah. I, no, I totally get that. Well, let me ask you this. You mentioned a couple of deeds to do, you know, whether it's going to the masjid, reading Quran, you know, making dhikr. What about, are there any things you avoid or decrease in Ramadan? And, and obviously for brothers and sisters listening, I'm, I'm not talking about things that would be classified as haram that you wouldn't do anyway. I'm talking about things that generally would be permissible, things that, other times of the year, we might, I don't know, maybe be more lax or we might consider partaking in. But in Ramadan, maybe you would say, you know what, this month, I'm not going to really let these occupy any of my uh, my time. Do you have some things like that, Yusuf? Yeah, you know, for me, I mean, I, I like sports a lot. So for me, I'll decrease my intake of sports, watching definitely and even reading. I'll cut that out a lot of that out and i'll try to get on social media only if it's something beneficial like somebody i want to listen to because what i've realized is if i get on it for some other reason i'll just be on it for a long time and it's hard for me to stop reading about other things and i'll go into other things and other things so i just try to really limit getting on social media reading things on the internet reading about sports that way I'm not wasting a lot of time because I'd rather just sleep and be rested so I can enjoy my time at the masjid. No, I, I totally get it. And one thing I've seen, I've, I've noticed this more probably in the last five years is people that do social media fasts. And I, I, maybe one exception is I've, you know, I, I'll talk sometimes to somebody who maybe is from Houston and, you know, Houston's a city where, alhamdulillah, we have, I, I think more than 110 masajid if you include the smaller ones. But sometimes someone's living in a small town or, Maybe they're going to college in a, in a university that doesn't have that many Muslim students. And they say that social media benefits them because they still feel a little connected to the community or they, you know, maybe they'll, they'll watch some khataras or something. But yeah, I agree. Most people, I, I, I've seen a lot of people do um, what they call social media fast where they, they won't log into Facebook or, or any of the other platforms, Instagram, whatever, during the month of Ramadan. Yeah. Yusuf, let me ask you um, this question. Ramadan obviously is a... One of the sweetest months that you know we look forward to all year and we we enjoy and we we really to be honest treasure every moment of it because especially you get into those last ten nights and and you know those moments of even having iftar with your brothers and sisters your family and and uh, just so many different acts of ibadah that increase hopefully in in Ramadan but having said that human nature is that sometimes we will burn out or we'll, we'll become a little bit uh, distracted. I wanted to ask you a question. You know, I've, I've seen something over the years where people start Ramadan pretty strong. They'll be excited. You know, you've waited the whole year for Ramadan and alhamdulillah, you, you live to see another one. And then they'll end Ramadan really excited. Those last 10 nights, you know, there's the reminders of Laylatul Qadr. There's the fundraising events. So you'll have guest speakers. You'll have uh, the Eid prayer preparation coming. But those middle 10 days or those middle weeks of Ramadan I sometimes see, I, and I, I've been guilty of this sometimes, I'll 
I lose some of my energy, that energy I have in the first 10 or the last 10 or, or maybe that same excitement. I wanted to ask you, is, is this something you've ever observed that there can be a quote unquote, maybe a Ramadan burnout or sometimes a dip in energy? And, and if so, what are some ways you would avoid that? How, how would you avoid having that dip in energy? How would you, how would you kind of ensure that you can really ha- you know, keep a, a good quality a focus throughout the month? Yeah, you know, I think it's human nature to have ups and downs. But if we if we look at the Islamic guidance on this, where uh, the Prophet ﷺ told us that you know the khairul amal is adawamahu wa inqal, that the best deeds uh, that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala likes is the one that's even though it's little is consistent. So I think you know we're like a lot of us are like weekend warriors, you know, like we don't do a lot of stuff on the weekdays, maybe, and then we'll go just really into it on the weekend. But it's very inconsistent. So in the end, you don't really gain a lot because consistency it what gains you knowledge, what gains you betterment of your soul. When you're not consistent, you're not able to better yourself as much. But also, you know, if you are tired, there's many doors of ibadah. So what I usually do is in those times that I'm tired, like I'll just go do something like visiting friends or family or charity, you know, things that maybe are different because maybe I was doing 10 days of just going to the masjid. Now I'm feeling a little tired. Well, I haven't had a chance to do some of those other things like helping someone, visiting someone, giving some money, you know, things that I haven't been doing. And so that kind of brings me back because now I took a little, maybe a break, but then I was still doing good deeds, but they were just different than what I was doing in the first 10 days. You know, let me ask you about one of those deeds you mentioned, which of course is being the month of Ramadan and and being the month of Quran and and reciting. Do you personally have a, I know everybody has their own habits. So for brothers and sisters listening, this is, this is just sharing another example but Yusuf, do you have a rhythm uh, for Quran in Ramadan? Do you, as a professional, as someone who who works daily, you're you're you know you're at your clinic or you're teaching. Do you try to find a certain time of day where you're like, you know what, I'm going to give some time here in Ramadan? And 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 what is a rhythm? Uh, if you could share with us, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people are not able to accomplish their goals is because they wait for the right time in the sense that they're like, okay, I'll do this when I have like two hours free or an hour free. But I think one of the secrets, there's a book about, I forget the name of the book, but it, it it talks about like, if you do these micro minutes, like you read something for three to five minutes, but you do that 10 times a day, it's very effective. So for me, I'm not like, I don't read a whole bunch at one time usually, but I'll read a little bit here and there. It keeps me interested. It lets me work with my schedule. And then whenever I have more time, then I'll read more. But I think a lot of times if we just stop, like say you have five minutes, well, you have five minutes. You can read 10, 15 ayat and think about them. So I think it's really important to just use those little minutes. So even if you're on the, in, in the traffic, you know, if you're just sitting there, the car's not moving, you can read for a few minutes. Or you get to work a little early, you can read in the car for a few minutes or things like that. So I think I like to just read and put a goal for myself. But even if I don't get the goal, I'm happy that I use my time well. And that's the difference between hopeful thinking and wishful thinking. I mean, having hope in God and wishful thinking, which we can talk about if we have time. Here, uh, Yusuf, I know we have uh, one more topic to get into, but before 
going to the our very last question, I wanted to ask you, you've lived, you're from Houston, Texas. It's a city with, by some estimates, we have, uh, you know, more than 300,000 Muslims. It's it's very easy to find Muslim communities, Muslim friends, Muslim families. But you also, at one point in your life, I, I think you were you were studying at the time, you were living in El Paso, Texas, which was a smaller community. You had you definitely had a masjid, you had Muslims, but it was a smaller community. I don't think you had family there, and, and you can correct me. Do you find your spiritual experience of Ramadan different when you live in a small town with less Muslims versus how it is in Houston? And I'm asking not as much for you, but for some of our listeners who maybe live in a small town. They don't have 110 masajid. They don't have halal restaurants on every street. They they live in a smaller town, but they they do want to have that spiritual experience and sweetness of Ramadan. I was wondering if you could comment on that at all. Again, living in El Paso versus living in Houston and kind of what, what you felt might have been different for you. You know, I mean, I was really lucky because when I lived in El Paso, even though it was a small town, Sheikh Yasser Burgess was with me for five years. So I had so much time with him before he became famous. And Muhammad al-Sharif used to come too because Sheikh, I was the president of the masjid and we were looking for an imam. And I don't know, somehow I ran across Muhammad al-Sharif somewhere. He had, I don't think he had started a maghrib yet. And, he, and I told him, hey, we're interviewing this Sheikh for Yasser Burgess. And he was like, oh, you got to bring this guy. He's number one in his class. He's so good. And so I just had a great time there. But that was unique. And the thing is that if you live in a small town, there's probably people like Yasser Burgess in your town that you have a lot of access to. In a big town, people are so busy. So really try to find those gems in your community and you'll find them and spend more time with them in Ramadan. And they're gracious people. I think they'll give you the time because there's not as much demands on them. But for people that are not able to maybe have those resources, now we, we have these amazing podcasts and live feeds. Like even Ramadan, like I VRIC, I was listening to a lot of their talks because I really like listening to their talks. So I... And there's, you know, Epic has them. And and v- VRIC, as you're mentioning, is the Valley Ranch Islamic Center. Yes. Where Sheikh Yasser Bajas is the imam and Dr. Omar Suleiman is the resident scholar. Exactly. Yeah. And they'll bring a lot in the last 10 nights when they do the Hajjud, they have a nightly Qiyam program and they bring different shiuch, mashayikh. And it's really good. I mean, so you can feel part of a bigger community now because we have these live streaming events, especially because of COVID. Everybody started doing that. And now in Ramadan, you can be living anywhere and still be sort of part of that community, which is really nice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that was a really good story about El Paso. Actually, uh, you may not remember this, and I, I think it's been nearly 20 years now or, or maybe a little bit less. But when um, Muhammad al-Sharif had set up, uh, Rahimahullah, he had set up, uh, he, was, he was setting up uh, a Maghrib Institute offices in Houston, which they had headquarters here for about five years. He was trying to recruit or find Yasser Burjas. And um, we had reached out to you because obviously your, your younger brother, also a, another Dr. Cher, uh, was a good friend of mine. And uh, we had some confusion between the name Yasser Burjas or Yasser Isa. Yeah. Later we found that it, it was uh, referring to the same person. And once we met him, the rest, as they say, is history. He really wound up being a gem and an amazing teacher. And now I know he's doing great things in the, in the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, Valley Ranch area. So... I want to get into our very last topic. Again, this is practical advice. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. And, and obviously, these are not prescriptive or specific, more, more general. What advice would you give? You know, you said we grew up in the U.S. We've seen all sorts of uh, 
uh, Muslim friends or kids from whether it's Sunday school at the masjid to later and people have different levels of practice and, and religiosity and that's fine. That's to be expected. But sometimes you'll find Muslims who are, uh, they genuinely wish they could change, but they're in a state at the moment, they're uh, partaking in major sins habitually, whether that's, it could be zina, it could be consuming alcohol or, or, you know, some sort of haram business or something. And um, every year, you know, in Ramadan, they'll make toba, they'll repent, they'll, they'll want to give up some of those uh, habits, those vices, and, and kind of just get rid of them for good. But unfortunately, they, they return to that. They come back and maybe they don't follow all the right steps of toba. Maybe they don't do all the right things. I wanted to ask you if you could give a general advice. And I'm not talking about any specific situation. There's, there are uh, several notable major sins in Islam, and, and someone is partaking in them, and they, they do hope to change. They want this Ramadan to be different. If they, if they live to see this Ramadan, they want it to be different. What sort of advice would you give somebody who is in that sort of situation, and they're, and they're trying to get out? They're trying to change. I think it's very important to always have tafa'ul, optimism. Because we are a religion of optimism. The Prophet had was optimistic in Mecca when he was under immense pressure in the most difficult situations of his life. He would stay optimistic. And so there's Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, he talks about al-farq bayna raja wa tamanni, which is the difference between hope and wishful thinking. So this raja is hope, but it's accompanied by action, meaning that in order to have hope, you have to do something. Like Musa salam going into the sea, waist high, and then hitting his staff on the water. The action showing that, yes, I have hope in God's mercy, but I'm doing even a little action. I mean, just hitting a sea with your staff is not a big thing, but it shows that the hope in God is with the action. Whereas Temenni is just wishful thinking. Like, oh, okay, I'm not doing anything, but I want this thing to happen. And so I think for people that are doing sins, obviously it's better to stop completely. But if you're not, then lessen and then keep lessening. Like if you smoke, then decrease it from five cigarettes to three or two or one. That's what I tell my patients. I hey, look, I need to do the surgery on you. It's not going to work well if you smoke. So they're like, well, can I decrease it to five cigarettes? And that's like my cutoff. Because I feel like after that studies have shown that that's somewhat beneficial if they cut to five. So, you know, you, you cut back as much as you can. Because if you say, I'm going to cut everything out, then it becomes very hard for most people. They're not able to do it because they feel like it's too much. It's too hard. So you slowly kind of condition them to decrease their sin and their involvement. And just one last point on that is that, you know, I think sometimes we forget we all are sinners. We've all done things. And like, if you just look, uh, for example, like when you have envy, how do you feel inside? You know, you feel like this burning feeling. Like there's a physical feeling when you commit sin and it's not a good feeling. You physically feel bad. And this was uh, in a poem by Imam Shafi'i where he had a photographic memory. So he would read something and the first time he would read it, he would just completely memorize it that page. But one time he read something and he couldn't uh, memorize it. And so he went to his teacher and he said, that I went and I complained to Waki'i, my teacher, that my memory is gone. And he said, he said, go ahead and leave, you know, sin. That 
he informed me that knowledge is nur, it's God's, it's something, it's light. And he said, that this light of God does not come to a sinner. So I think we all want this light and we don't want this darkness in our heart. It's a physical feeling that we want to remove. And I think if people really think about that effect that it has on them physically and mentally, I think they'll, they're, they're more likely to be successful. No, no, you know, I, I agree completely in the, the point you made about kind of taking a gradual uh, or, a, or a more strategic approach. It reminded me uh, about 25 years ago, I was, um, uh, I was a freshman at the University of Houston and I joined the MSA, the, the Muslim Students Association. And we had a brother there, one of the, he, he was senior to us, Imran Akhtar, really good brother, used to manage some of the dawah and some of the program. And he was talking to some of the freshman guys about like importance of prayers and and some of the guys were like, man, there's no way we can do Fudger. You know, it's, we've never done it and waking up too early. And and I remember even back then, he would tell some of the guys, okay, you know, you're always awake at, at Maghrib and Isha. Why don't you start with two prayers a day? Why don't you start with three? And I remember there were some guys who were like, we don't even pray a Friday prayer. You know, we maybe they came from families where they were not that practicing. They, it just it just wasn't a thing. And he would say, hey, start with the Friday prayer. Start with Maghrib and Isha. Start with what you can. And then eventually he would help people work up their way. And 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 believe it or not, I, I know brothers who at that time started and, you know, within a semester or within the end of the year, they were, you know, many of them had, had started becoming regular in their salawat. And it was, it was kind of an interesting approach to um, to be gradual and, um, and, and, and then be consistent. So Yusuf, we talked about the, some of the advice for people partaking in major sins. When it, there, there's one last component I want to talk to you about before we go. And this is R- Ramadan for those going through trials those going through difficulties. And I'll, and I'll tell you, there's, there's, there's several sub subtopics here. You have, you have, uh, I have friends who sometimes, I, I remember one of my good friends right before Ramadan, he lost his parent. He lost his father. I remember I have friends who have lost their jobs right before Ramadan or in Ramadan, maybe the first week of Ramadan with the tech layoffs, oil and gas layoffs. And, and, you know, and sometimes people go, are going through a bad marriage or, or, or bad divorce and they divorce in Ramadan or, or right before now, Ramadan is a special time for all of us, and you want to be at your best for your ibadah. You want to feel that sweetness of ibadah, the closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But again, people are human, human nature, and people get sad, and people can have depression, anxiety. They, they sometimes don't want to be around people. What would your advice be to um, someone going through these sort of natural trials, again, whether it's a bad divorce, whether they, they're losing the, in the process of losing their job or their business, or Maybe they're losing a parent. Maybe they themselves have a terminal illness or something something in their health that is, is just kind of eating away at them. What, what would you say to these people to still try to have a, a good spiritual mindset and a good hope, a good optimism for their Ramadan, despite what they might be going through? I think when, when people go through trauma or anxiety, stress, depression from major life events, there's actually physical changes that occur to their brain. And that's been shown scientifically. And so they feel like the demands that are placed upon them are greater than the resources that they have. So they feel that causes them to be mutasha'imun, pessimist, instead of mutafailun, optimist. So they feel a sense of despair physically and emotionally in their brain. So I think we have to recognize it, that there's a sadness. Like when the Prophet went in to see the child who had lost a bird, Ibn Nughayr, he asked about it and he could acknowledge it, that he was sad. 
because of this loss. And so I think the, the acknowledgement is important not to diminish it and say, oh, it's no big deal. You know, it's no, no, it's fine. You got divorced. I mean, definitely we should acknowledge the pain that the person is going through, but at the same time, also let them know that, hey, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the great time to ask and expect. Expect good things uh, because by expectation, you know, as we know the hadith, and I'm in the, the way that my servant expects of me, the opinion that he expects of me. So I think to expect good things and a new life, a new beginning is good for Muslims. Like in in other faiths and other cultures, you know, a lot of times when like they get divorced, they, they move on very easily because it's okay. It's, it's a new beginning. And so we should have that. And I, th- and I think, sure. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry to cut you off. I think what you mean by that is that in, and not to say that there are not Muslims from all backgrounds, but when you look say at Daisies and Arabs, there still tends to be a lot of stigma in divorce where people don't always move on. And sometimes there is, you're considered to be baggage. I mean, Stockfall, not that that's true, but sometimes in these communities, specifically Daisies and Arabs, there tends to be some stigma. Is, is that maybe what you're referring to? Yeah. Like, you know, like the, it's like this constant stigma, like you're, you're a divorcee and like sort of the world has closed up for you. This beautiful world with all this opportunity and and the goodness is constricted because you went through this thing. Well, there's always a time for a new life and a new beginning because inshallah, this new life be better than the previous life. Uh, like, like the Prophet was told that, you know, this, this is a daybreak. There's a new life that's coming. It's a better life. So we should have that outlook after trauma that inshallah, I'm going to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm going to expect good and I'm going to be good. And hey, I'm, I'm going to have a better life. Why is it that I'm always going to have a worse life? Because we had a traumatic event. We'll, inshallah, we'll deal with that trauma. But at the same time, there's no stigma. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't think less of me because I did this. You know, it happened. And uh, inshallah, I'm going to become a better person through it. And I'm going to live a better life. And I'm going to learn through what I went through. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um I, th- I think one of the things of spiritual prep also would be taking an opportunity to cleanse your heart, probably towards other people as well. I was I was actually watching a video today was by uh, our executive director of Muslim Matters, Brother Siraj Muhammad, and he was talking about helping people reconcile. And I think Ramadan is probably also a, a time where people can take the opportunity to end any lingering grudges or apologize or do you have any any comment on that? Do you have any advice around that on 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 cleaning the heart or uh, moving on maybe from something between brothers between sisters in the month of of Ramadan? That that's so important. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, because that's actually the highest level of fasting, which is called Khawas al Khawas, Khawas al Khawas, which is the highest level. Meaning, you abstain from food, drink. Your limbs are doing halal, not anything haram, and your heart itself is pure. So that is the highest form of fasting, which involves the heart. Because if we have, and you know, the thing is that if, even if we have a small thing against someone, it keeps resurfacing in our mind. So it just keeps coming and it's taking this positive energy away. And you're thinking about this person or this situation versus something positive that you could be doing with your life. And it's eating away at you. So it actually, we benefit the most when we let go. And when we reconcile more than the other person, actually. No, Jazakallah Khair. 
brothers and sisters listening, our today's episode was about spiritual prep for Ramadan. Our next show that we'll be recording will be with guests Bilal Khan from Early Days of Al-Maghrib Institute and also our Executive Director of Muslim Matters, Siraj Muhammad. And that topic will be on physical preparation, getting your body ready for Ramadan. With that, I wanted to thank our guest today, Dr. Yusuf Sher. Yusuf, I would love to have you back at some point, whether you want to come talk about the Khalil Islamic Collective or any of the other projects or good things you're doing. Inshallah, you're welcome anytime. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to listening to your shows that are coming up. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. We'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Muslim Matters Podcast, where we discuss everything under the sun that affects Muslims, such as faith, local and global politics, social media, sex education, civil rights, and family matters, all coming from a traditional Orthodox perspective. Subscribe to our podcast and follow us online on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on our handle, Muslim Matters. And check out our site daily at muslimmatters.org.